to a very special live edition of Music on the Rocks. We're coming to you from the Northeast Horn Workshop. And uh, first, I want to say bravo to the West Virginia University Horn Ensemble. What a sound you guys put out. I mean, just the sound was like, woo, I got chills several times in the concert. So congratulations and congratulations to the soloist also. You guys were tip top. You guys sounded awesome. Really, really nice. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, to Jonas, uh, this is just an amazing, I can't imagine how much work go- is going into putting this whole thing together, but congratulations. And I mean, how many people did you get to play recitals and like master classes? This thing is like, it's almost like the size of IHS. So it's like really, really impressive. So we just listened to a, a truly wonderful recital by our featured artists, Elizabeth Frymouth, uh, Randy Gardner, and Jeff Scott. And uh, like I told them earlier, I'm not going to go into rattling off bios here or anything because everybody's got a program. You guys can check it out and you should know who these people are anyway. (laughs) So if you don't, check them out. And uh, I just want this to be kind of free form and a get to know you of all the people that I'm talking to, because this is a, a really kind of a special thing to talk to people, musicians, horn players of this caliber, right after they gave such a really awesome recital. So I want to go back to like, I'm going to start like at the very beginning of a get to know you for a horn player, which would be, why did you choose the horn? And when did you know it was like what you wanted to do? How about uh, we start with Liz? Thank you so much for having us. It's really great to be part of this. And um, I'm thrilled to be here tonight. So I'm going to be honest. (laughs) My dad was a band director. And, um, you know, I'm from a really small town. And I think that my dad foresaw the future. And he thought, you know, someday I'd like to have a good horn player. And so from the time I was in kindergarten, maybe. I started on piano. Then my dad, we went to Pittsburgh Symphony. I'm from outside of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. And um, we would go to some concerts and, um, you know, the the Pittsburgh Symphony, there would be some run out shows and like a quintet would come to our school. And my dad was a band director. So I would go to all the his concerts. And my dad would always my mom too point out, oh, the horn, the sound of the horn, isn't that nice? Wouldn't you like to play that? And so when I got to about fifth grade, a horn was in my bedroom. And that's kind of the beginning of how it all began. <laughs> that's wow. that's how it all started. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So I I really feel like I was destined to at least try the horn. But the time where it became unquestionable to me where I couldn't live without it. It was after my junior year in high school. I mean, the time leading up to that point, I fought it. I didn't like to practice. I was completely convinced that the only reason I got the chairs and the ensembles outside of our school that I did was because my dad was a band director and maybe at a friendship connection or something. I don't know. But I went to back in those days in Pennsylvania, there was a governor's school for the arts. And so I went to like a five week camp at a college in um, up near Erie, Pennsylvania, Mercyhurst College. And they hosted this Pennsylvania governor's school for the arts. And that was the first time I got to be far enough away from my school district. Anything I knew, I collaborated with string players I got to know other students that were, you know, serious about any kind of creative or performing arts in the state of Pennsylvania. Some of them came from Philadelphia. A lot of them came from the middle of the state. And um, I just really came home like a dog with my tail between my legs saying, you know what? I can't live without this. I know I said otherwise all the way to this point, but I can't live without this. I came back understanding that I had a voice and I had my own passion and it was my thing. And from that point on, there was no looking back. That was it. That was it for me. 
And yeah, I really credit that opportunity that I was given to go to that camp that was away. And um, that was the beginning of it all for me. There's something about that when you get around kind of like-minded people, right? It's like the little spark that fires that powder keg and all of a sudden you're just like, you know. Yeah. I I didn't have that experience until I got to that point and it made all of the difference for me. I, I found that I was with people that thought like me, wanted similar things to me. You know, it was, it was an incredible um, turning point in my life. That's so cool. It is cool. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> How about you, Randy? How did you get started on the horn? Well, um, my path was uh, in increments. Uh, my mom said that uh, my first musical instrument was really the pot and pan. I would sit on the floor when I was a baby and bang pots and pans and listen to them like this for hours. Anyway, I guess I've always been fascinated by by sound. Uh and, you know, uh, my school was, uh, I grew up in a small town right near Gary, Indiana, um, not a cultural Mecca, that's for sure. And my mom had a, a violin that her uncle had made for her when she was a child. He was a cabinet maker and he made this violin for her and we started a spring, string program. So I thought, okay, well, you know, this is cool. And then that string program lasted a year. Well, my dad had a trumpet hanging around from when he was a kid. So next step. I played the trumpet. And and then when I was in um, junior high school, uh, the band director came to me and came to all the trumpet players and said, you know, we're going to need horn players uh, in the high school band. Uh, would any of you like to be French horn players? And I said, what's a French horn? And he showed it to me, played a recording, and, and I fell in love with the sound. And it's the sound of the instrument that still captivates me like none other. Okay. Um, and from that time in junior high school, I knew that, um, I was going to be a musician. Um, but I thought that the only route was to become a band director. And so I went to, uh, you know, college in, in music education at Valparaiso University, a small college. Um, and then when I was a freshman, I had a teacher who, who said to me, have you ever thought about going into performance? And I said, you mean you can do that? You can make a living playing the horn, you know? And and I said, hmm, that's for me. And from that point on um, to this very day, I am obsessed with horn playing. <laughs> you know, it's it's a passion. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but from that point on, um, you know, I just took off. I still love teaching. I love teaching with the same passion that I do playing. But, um, but from that point on, I just, you know, I, I lived and ate and <laughs> breathed horn. And I'm so thankful I had the right teachers at the right time. I had great teachers who just pointed me in the, in the right direction. And I was just so fortunate. Yeah. That makes all the difference in the world. Those teachers that you can look up to and they steer you towards the really cool recordings. And I mean, when I was younger, I really, I was kind of like Liz where I, I wasn't into the horn right away until I had a band director who just was like, Hey, check this out, listen to this. And I'd hear people and I'm like, wow, that's what it's supposed to sound like. Cause until then I had just heard my peers and I was like, Oh, Johnny first chair is awesome. You know? But then I, I started hearing like what I was supposed to sound like. And that's when I really fell in love with it. Jeff, uh, how about you, man? Good to see you, by the way. Likewise, man. It's been a minute. Brother it's been a minute. <laughs> and yeah, uh, Jonas, just, you know, bravo for tonight. Um, I know this is a lot of work, so you know, bravo to you for putting this all together. And Chris, thanks for hosting this. Are you um, talking? Yeah, I, um, I didn't know I wanted to play horn, to be really honest. I, uh, as late as the week that I auditioned, for conservatories, and I only decided I decided I would only go audition for the top conservatories in New York City because I said, well, if I don't get into one of those, I probably shouldn't be playing horn anyway. I didn't know anything, but that same week I auditioned at Pratt University and FIT because I thought I was going to be in art. I was I was going to be a cartoonist or something in fashion, and I also 
did a tryout at St. John's University for baseball because I thought I was going to play for the New York Yankees one day. This was all in the same, well, not week, but like two-week period. I, and I told my mother um, when I was doing all these you know, auditions and everything, she's like, so what are you going to do? I said, well, whoever gives me the most scholarship money, that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to... So as late as that, as much as I had, you know, gone through all the training, I had, you know, prep school for, for preparatory school for, for music. Um, I had met Jerry Ashby when I was 14, uh, you know, all city, all, all, all that stuff. I'd done all that. I still had this burning desire to, like, get into sports. And the main reason was, you know, to be really honest, coming up as a kid in Queens, not many kids that looked like me were playing classical music, you know. And so... My heroes were in sports. I wanted to be Reggie Jackson. You know, he that that was my hero. You know, like I'm going on this big dude with this great afro hitting home runs, and you know, he looked like me. So I wanted to be like that. You know, until I met Jerry Ashby, of course. <laughs> it was just like, wait, wait, hold, it, hold the phone. <laughs> I mean, you can sound like that on French horn. <laughs> I, as a quick story, it's a quick story. So I'm in uh, All City uh, Orchestra, New York Youth Symphony. Sorry, New York Youth Symphony. And he did a side-by-side with the New York Philharmonic. And they played a tune, and we'd get to sit next to him. So principal sit next to principal. I'm sitting next to Jerry Ashby. I never met him. And he comes in, and he's warming up, and I can't believe what I'm hearing. He's just playing scales. And I don't, you know, just sounds, like, ridiculous. And he, he, the music on his stand is Oberon, Overture to Oberon. And I'm looking over. I don't know now. I'm 14, 15 years old. I don't know anything. And he looks at me and says, ever heard this piece before? I was like, he says, you're not going to ever forget it. And I remember <laughs> saying that. And I'm looking at the music and I'm like, it's half notes and whole notes. <laughs> and I, could, I, I was like, all right, sure. He starts to play. The conductor like looks at him and he just gestures to him. He doesn't even conduct him. And he starts. And you know the piece. It starts with this so soft and so resonant sound and then blossoms and then decrease. he does it all by himself and then the the conductor gestures for the strings to come in and I remember feeling the resonance of his sound on my body and I looked down the section to my colleagues that were in all, 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 all New York Youth Symphony and we were like mm. I'd never heard anything like that and I said that's that alright I'll play horn <laughs> I'm convinced <laughs> I just had never heard anything like that. Yeah. So that, yeah, that was that was definitely a selling point. <laughs> wow. But it's just like Randy said. I mean, it's to, it, we're really drawn to the sound, right? I'm sure everybody listening also is just like drawn to the sound. And it's a beautiful sound, but it's really cool because everybody's kind of got their own unique signature to that sound also, you know? It, but it's still the horn sound. Uh, no other instrument does that for me. Hey, Randy, uh, do you remember – I'm going to throw this one at you. Do you remember your first audition, and uh, how did it go, and, and what did you learn from it? Oh, it, well, yeah, of course, I, <laughs> of course I remember my first audition, and I learned a lot from it. Okay, So I was a junior at IU, and I was studying with Phil Farkas, who still is in, in my brain on a daily basis, and – you know, he was just a huge mentor uh, to me, um, like a musical father. Anyway, uh, so I'm studying with Mr. Farkas, and um, there was this audition for Fourth Horn in Dallas. And, you know, I'm a junior. I had no right to be thinking about taking an audition. No way. But but there were three or four of us who, you know, thought we could make a road trip out of it. And one of the guys lived down in Oklahoma, so we could spend the night in Oklahoma. Anyway got into this audition for fourth horn, you know, Dallas symphony and I'm playing along and I'm playing reasonably well. And all of a sudden they put a passage from Brahms fourth that wasn't in an excerpt book. Okay. And I crashed and burned big time. It's like, okay, thank you. All right. From that moment on, it was one of the best lessons I ever learned from that moment on. I knew every note of every piece, every backbeat of any piece on an audition. It's like, you want to throw it at me? I'm ready. I mean, 
that was that was a huge lesson. Um, you know, of course, you know, I walked off stage <laughs> uh, feeling kind of, uh, you know, uh, not so great. But man, it was a fabulous lesson. So that was my very first audition. That is <laughs> what a story, man. It's actually I've got a question about that for everybody a little bit later on, but we don't really want to address it all the time because it's a little bit taboo <laughs> and it's scary and we just want to forget about our failures. But failure is that best friend that is just like, we'll tell you if you have something in your nose or, you know, if you shouldn't be wearing that, <laughs> you shouldn't be wearing those clothes. It doesn't look good on you. You know, it's like your best friend will tell you that, but your colleagues won't and success, you know, it's like you need failure to tell you those things and learn from them. Everything. What a cool story, man. How about, uh, how about you, Liz? I have a pretty awesome early on audition story. <laughs> it, it was not my first audition, but the audition that taught me the most was a very specific audition. And I won't, I won't reveal where it was, but um, I showed up at this particular audition, finally, very well prepared. And I knew at that point that there were a few different ways that auditions could happen. One option was you show up and at the point where you register, they tell you, yes, here's the preliminary list. This is the rep that they're going to listen to in the first round. I knew that that was one option. Another option is they tell you when you're on deck to go on stage, what you'll play in the preliminary round. And another option was perhaps the proctor would put a piece in front of you as you play in the preliminary round. I was prepared for any of those options. So I went to warm up and it was a very rustic facility. And that was a little alarming, but it was okay. Cause like I said, I was at that point prepared to roll with the punches. So they eventually called me to be on deck. And that was the point where I was told what I would play for the preliminary audition round. Mm -hmm. And you know what they said? You can play anything you want from the audition list. You have five minutes. You can choose a, a solo piece or no solo piece, any excerpt. You can choose anything you want. You have five minutes. <laughs> I absolutely could not handle this information. It was the most challenging moment of my life. <laughs> I, I could not handle it. I couldn't handle it. So they let me in onto the stage. And furthermore, to complicate matters even further, the committee is sometimes screened or the candidate is sometimes screened. In this particular situation, I walked into a circular, thick, like curtained area around me. I was in a cubicle where a thick curtain was immediately around the stand, my chair, and about four feet in diameter around me Ugh. by myself. And I was told to play for five minutes, anything I wanted. And as prepared as I was, every single thing I played, my brain was on the next thing that I maybe should choose to play. I was a disaster. And it was the biggest waste of time and preparation of my life. And I was so just embarrassed and disappointed in myself. And I mean, it was a disaster, <laughs> a really big disaster for me. I couldn't, I couldn't produce anything that I'd prepared because I was so completely in the moment taken, like I was arrested by the, the procedure. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know what to do. I, I was, I, I literally walked off the stage out of that cubicle, whatever I was in. And, and I called the airline to make my, I didn't want to hear any results. I didn't need to hear about results because I was playing and everything I was playing, I was thinking about what, should, well, this is high. The next thing I should play should be low. This is fast. The next thing I should play should be slow. And everything was subpar because of that. So I went home with, uh, you know, my tail between my legs and 
I just felt like I had prepared so well. I don't really, I, I don't, you know, I don't know what to do with this information. And my teacher at the time gave me great advice and said, you know, as much as you prepare, you have to just learn that whatever the situation is, you will rule with it and you can handle anything. And that was like this, you know, there's a book, feel the fear and do it anyway. And, you know, these kinds of this new kind of attitude at that moment really made a huge, significant impact on me. And the next audition I went to, I was equally prepared, but I had a completely different mindset. Yeah. And I, I got my first job the next audition. Oh, wow. It was a hundred percent just mindset. It's so, as far as the audition process goes, it's so unmusical in a way. It's so like anti what we do. Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to get discouraged by something like that. Like you said, you just wanted to call the airline and just say, you know what, I'm going home. But we learn. These experiences are opportunities for us, whether we realize them in the moment or not. But now I get to talk about it. I was no better a horn player three, four months later at my next audition where I had the most successful outcome as compared to this particular scenario that I, I told you about where I was a disaster. I was the same person. I was the same horn player. You know, I did not improve as a musician or as a horn player. It was mental. It was mindset. It was expectation and all of that. It makes all the difference. And I get to share this with students. It's important for me to share that with students. Well, it's powerful. And it's something that students need to hear. I don't know about students now, but when I was a student, I assumed that the people who were winning auditions and the people who I was watching like a recital tonight, like you guys were just like steel, like Iron Man, like, you know what I mean? It's just like you had no, none of the nerve stuff I was dealing with or none of the failures that I dealt with or anything like that. You just see their principal horn here and and I would love to do that. But it's so cool, especially when when people like you are so open about your experiences in the past that you're going to come across failure and it's how you deal with it, you know, and what you learn and what you do the next time. And it's, yeah, that's an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thanks for giving me the chance. <laughs> hey, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah, how about you, man? Uh, what was the question? <laughs> If you remember your first audition and how did it go and what did you learn from it? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, in all honesty, I, 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 I took a handful of, and I literally a handful of orchestral auditions in my life only because they were convenient. But I knew early on, very early on, that my career in music wasn't, um, going to be centered around orchestral playing. I, I, I knew I, I was always drawn towards um, sort of the freedom of choice in music, where I did it, when I did it, how I did it. Um, I didn't know what avenue that was going to take me to. Um, but in my, my few opportunities, I played in an orchestra in Mexico for a year. Um, and I played, you know, some orchestras in New York City, uh, you know, during their small seasons. And I always came out of those situations thinking it's nice to do, but I, I wouldn't want to do it on a daily basis. It just didn't fit me. You know, it just wasn't, wasn't for me. Right. Um, but I did take, <laughs> it's a funny story, but I don't know if it's worth sharing, but I'll tell you the story anyway. I, I, I forget what year it was, uh, but there was a fourth horn audition for the New York Philharmonic. And, you know, I was in New York city and I was doing my freelance thing and, you know, I was, you know, had no, literally no experience in taking auditions to that point. And all my, my friends and colleagues were taking it because it was the New York Philharmonic. And so, you know, I, I sent my resume in and I don't even know how it got passed because they would screen these auditions. You, you, you had to have a certain amount of experience in order to even take the audition. I don't even know how I got through. But anyways, I get through and I go 
and I practiced really hard. I knew I said, you know, if you're going to do it, do it. Like, like really, really. So I did all of my 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 rehearsing. I did all of my mock auditions. I went back to all my teachers. I played and did auditions for them. Got all I did all my recording and listening back. Did all of that stuff. Got to the audition. Felt like steel. You know, I I read all the books. I mean, I was doing I was doing the inner game practicing. You know, where I was visualizing. You know, I did jumping jacks and then played shy five. You know, I mean, I did all of that stuff. You're not like Liz. Just like you're not gonna get me. You know, I might not win, but it won't be because I suck. You know. <laughs> so I go in, and it's literally going fantastic. Like fantastic. I play the first two. The first excerpt is always like. You know, like you get, you play the exposition. I think it was Mozart four. Play the, play the first excerpt, and I think it was, it was either, I think it was Shostakovich five, but I can't, I can't remember. It was one of the two, or it was like dum da dum dum da dum. It was one of those two. Anyway, I played it, and I just went, whoa, oh, and I started to feel myself a little bit. The next one, I split the high note on an excerpt so many ways the echoes were heard in the hall for like two minutes after. I mean, it was horrible. And all I heard was Phil Myers, who I did not know very well. I knew this when I saw him, but the only way I knew it was just because I heard Hoop! <laughs> he goes, would the candidate like to try that again? <laughs> I hey, at least he gave you a chance, I you know? You, and literally, my whole body started shaking. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, I became aware of where I was and all who I was. And I was just like, like I couldn't, I couldn't play the horn for the next, like, three minutes. And I felt my mouth get really dry. And I was trying to like do anything to get like moisture back on my tongue. And I forget what, the, I, I honestly can't remember what the next episode was. All I remember is like, I couldn't, I could and I was like, I'm not going to be able to play the first note. And the first note came out pure air. The next note just like, <laughs> I'm like, what am I going to do? <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrible. And it was all because, you know, I like, I took my focus off. And I would, you know, I didn't have experience doing it. And I, I would know if I were a regular audition taker like my esteemed colleagues here, you can't stop and think, wow, you just did great on that excerpt. You can't. It's like, there's no time for that, you know? And that's what I, I guess I was just so giddy about being, doing well in a situation that I had never really seen myself in before. I was like, wow, I, I could do this. I could, I could, I could be four hornets on your wrist. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, man. Well, never, I mean, but it was Phil Myers. Like, no one else sounds like that. I know for a fact. I didn't see it, but I knew it was Phil Myers. <laughs> it's so funny how, how, like, a situation can change in a split second, man. Don't say split. Please don't say split. Oh, no. Uh, I meant... <laughs> I had a buddy who I got him on a subbing to sub in Phantom of the Opera with me. And he, he he's a great player, but uh, the conductor like really had him freaked out because the conductor w- was a sneerer, you know, oh. and he never knew who he was sneering at. It was usually somebody on stage, but us musicians were so in our heads. It's like he makes a face and immediately it's, it's you. He's making the face at you. You know, so the conductor was having a bad night. He was mad at somebody, but it wasn't this guy, but this guy decided in his head that it was him that he was mad at. And he just started having a, it it didn't go well. And I remember halfway through Phantom of the Opera, he turns at me and he goes, I don't want to be here anymore. (laughs) 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 I felt so bad. But anyway, it's just one of those things that we put it, it turns you from like being able to do stuff to I can't play anymore. 
what happened to me? I, I have lost everything. <laughs> anyway, thanks for sharing those, you guys. Uh, we're going to flip-flop it now. Uh, what's a memorable experience you've had playing? Like something that went really well that sticks in your head that was like a highlight. How about Liz? Oh, gosh. I get to feel alive when I play with great players. And I, I have that opportunity so often. You know, in no way would I ever want it ever to be assumed that I take that for granted. Um, there was one time in Cincinnati that Gergiev came to conduct Chike 5. It was a very exciting performance. And it was just a really satisfying opportunity to get to play Russian music with this Russian maestro. And the entire audience, this huge amount of people came backstage afterwards. I had no idea what language they were speaking Russian. And, the, you know, it was just such, it felt like a very authentically musically satisfying experience. And when you get to play music that you feel feeds the soul of people that really appreciate it, regardless of what that is. It's amazing. But that particular opportunity, it was a performance that I felt like people that were there truly appreciated it. And that was electrifying. I, I, I sensed it in the moment that I was performing and I really got that afterwards. There was a very satisfying component to it. So, I mean, I know I have been so fortunate. I could sit here and tell you, 3,000 other experiences just like that. But that's just one that comes to my mind right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, beautiful. And Liz, I was in the audience for that performance and you were awesome. You're oh. amazing. Thank you, Randy. <laughs> awesome. Thank How about you, Randy? Wow, you're talking. Well, I have had the most amazing pinch me kind of career you know, that I could ever have dreamt of. Um, and I've had the opportunity to play with so many of the world's great conductors and soloists. And, you know, I have certain performances that just stand out incredibly for me. I mean, you know, a, a Mahler second with Meta that was just mind-blowing. And in the Grossau Appell at the end, I mean, there were tears streaming down his face and he was so into the music and it was, you know, I'm getting goosebumps as I'm talking about it. It was magical. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to play the, the, well, Savalish was an amazing musician, Wolfgang Savalish. I remember uh, working with him and doing a Mavlast, um, you know, uh, Smetna that was just unique and, and opera with Muti. I mean, I could, I could go on and on and on. Um, and I'm just so thankful uh, for the, the magical career I've had and, and to work with the colleagues who were on stage with me day after day after day. I mean, it's just totally awesome. And, you know, I still, since I retired from the orchestra, I still continue to go back and play. And I've had, I've had opportunities to play with a lot of other wonderful orchestras and I'm so thankful for those, but, you know, and last what, two weeks ago, I got a call, a sudden call from Philadelphia orchestra saying, Hey, one of the players is out. Can you, can you come in and sub for these video recordings? And, and I said, okay, I'm there. Well then get two COVID tests tomorrow morning, you know? Uh, uh, and Sitting on that stage, as many concerts as I've performed with these colleagues, I, you know, I still pinch myself, you know? And I don't know how many concerts I've played with Liz in the Cincinnati Symphony. And sitting in that section and sitting in that orchestra, you know, I just say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to do this. You know, it's, it's still awesome. And, you know, I hear her playing down, down lead in the section. I'm going, wow, you know? it's you know so i anyway uh i could go on and on and on just to talk about how thankful i am for the career that i've had and continue to have and yeah i'm, I'm incredibly blessed oh really cool yeah. jeff 
How about you, man? Oh man, like my colleagues here, you know, it's there's, there's so many. Um, but I had enough time to really, really hone in and, and think while you guys were, were telling your stories. Um, right around uh, 2004, my wind quintet, Imani Winds, started. We got management, and we were about to have um, a, a Carnegie Hall debut. And it was at this just prior to that, um, I'd been playing on Broadway, and I I quit my Broadway show because I knew, you know, I told you in the podcast, I knew that you know Broadway as much as it was um, a comfortable job to have because you know I was playing The Lion King for folks that don't know that show's still going now and it probably will go forever and ever. You know, I just I, I wasn't being challenged enough, and, um, and so. When it came time to make the decision um, whether to stay there or go with the quintet, I, I went with the quintet. The quintet really wasn't making a whole lot of bread at that time, um, um, but we were, you know, doing challenging things, and we had this big Carnegie Hall debut. And I remember, like, the two days before the concert, uh, it was just I just feel the anxiety kind of building up because I left my big job. And you're doing this thing, and like I was like, why did I do this? You know, and I'm now nervous. And what if we bomb? You know, and they're going to be a New York Times review, and they're going to batch us, and then I'm going to be like, you know, flipping burgers or something. You know, I was like, I was all this anxiety. And I remember we got to the, uh, you know, before we played the first piece, and um, uh, the flute player in the quintet at the time, the original flute player Valerie Coleman, she could sort of sense the sort of the anxiety in the group. And uh, it was about five minutes before she held, called everybody back. We were all noodling on our instruments. She called everybody back. And she said, let's just pray, everybody. Yeah. yeah. So we all huddled, literally huddled like you would in football. And she like said a prayer. And it was the actually the first time that that had happened in the group. But it led to us doing that for a while, actually. Because we just kind of out there on our own, kind of doing our thing, and we thought we needed something like that. And I can't tell you just how comforting that felt to be with colleagues who felt so um, uh, open to share that sort of vulnerability. We had never talked about religion as a group, you know. That wasn't, you know, but like she knew in that moment, that's kind of like what we just needed. We just needed to like all come together. And just hug and say it's going to be all right. I was like, wow. Now I'm just thinking, I had never experienced that in music. And I knew from that point on, I was, man, I'd found my musical family. That was, you know, that was doubt, without a doubt. You know, that, that, you know, I wear that, I wear that everywhere I go because that's, um, that's a special thing. And yeah, I know you guys know when you're, you're yep. playing sections and you, you know your section's got your back and, you know, you just, it feels like a, a warm blanket, you know. And when you've got it on, you feel like super person, you know. <laughs> feel like super, but when this, when it's not there, or if somebody like you know, like you were saying, Chris, like if you think the conductor is like out to get you, or you can, it's, it changes your whole mentality, you know. So yeah, that that I remember that concert very very fondly because, like all that anxiety, I wouldn't say completely went away, but the the amount that was going to prohibit me from being good, <laughs> that. That went to the side. We just went out. We did our thing. We had a great show and career. You know, that was yeah. twenty five years ago. And it's it's such a different experience for a chamber musician who you have a definite say of what's going to happen in the future with that group. It's like it's different when it's with an orchestra, and if it doesn't go well, it's like the organization lives on. <laughs> you know, yeah, they'll find another Jeff Scott. That's for sure. <laughs> But what I'm saying is they've got, you know, I mean, that, that will go, it's like a baseball team, you know, it's like the, right. yeah, the, the pitcher has a bad game, but the Yankees are the Yankees still. And it's like, it's a whole different thing where it's like, you're one of five who own the group. And if this doesn't go well, it could be detrimental to the fork that the group goes on past that. You know, so it's a whole other level of pressure. So anyway, I mean, I can, I, I feel you on that <laughs> because, uh, I, you know, we're in kind of. You know of, I do. You know exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, once again, you guys all sounded amazing on this battle, by the way. 
I mean, it was awesome. I'm sure everybody enjoyed it as much as I did. It was it was a pleasure to put it together. Yeah. And and it was great to hear my colleagues here. I mean, that was that was that was fantastic. You all yeah. inspire me for sure, including you, Chris. <laughs> well, I was just listening. I was having a good time listening. Yeah. I can't wait to hear your performance. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's gonna be I I can't wait for you guys to hear it. <laughs> but um, so I wanted to ask you. How did you guys go about programming the recital and uh, what were some of the challenges and changes maybe that you made due to uh, the situation with COVID and everything being recorded now? I've got a real easy answer (laughs) not to go first. (laughs) The, the woman that was playing piano, I got in touch with her. Mm -hmm. I knew we had the facility. I said, she plays a lot of horn repertoire. I said, what's most under your fingers? She told me what was. I said, let's do that. (laughs) There you go. There you go. I always play the Reynolds. The the Vern Reynolds Grazioli piece is a very special piece to me. I play it at the end of almost every recital I've ever done since I graduated from undergrad because Vern Reynolds was my undergraduate horn teacher. And he told me that that piece was the final piece he played at the final recital of his performance career, which he gave right before I became a freshman at Eastman. Mm -hmm. And it was towards the middle or the end of my sophomore year where he gave me the music to that, that piece. I was going to be doing a recital and I needed maybe another like five minute piece or something. He brought the music with a cassette tape of that recital. And he said, you know, this is a piece that I played. It was the last piece I played on the final recital of my performing career, you know, and it clearly meant something to him to play that. And I have played it at the end of just about every recital I've ever played since that point. And so I I truly try to honor that because if it hadn't been for Vern Reynolds, um, accepting me to Eastman and believing in me, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I, I owe a lot to him. And so I like to try to honor that. And so other than the pieces that Jen played and they were under her fingers, you know, that, that, that's a pretty easy one to put together. So that's how I came up with my music. So I'll just say, I mean, just your sound was so, you know, I could tell that you're, you're a principal horn in a major symphony orchestra. You've got this command like this presence when you play, it's just like bold and beautiful and and it's really, really cool to hear. So thank you for that. That is so kind. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Randy, how about yourself, man? How did you, how did you come up with your program? Well, it wasn't quite so simple. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when Jonas asked me if I'd be interested in playing a recital, I thought, ah, how do I do that in COVID time? You know? And and uh, I thought about it for about a week, and I said, I think I can put something together. Um, uh, a very close friend of mine uh, and his wife, uh, we've been longtime friends. He just recently retired from the Philadelphia Orchestra on second trombone, a man named Eric Carlson and his wife, Lorraine, uh, real good friends. And by the way, he also he arranged the, the Songs of the Wayfarer. One that I played tonight is one of four songs that he, he arranged and but. I thought, you know, Eric and Lorraine do broadcasts for their church's worship service. Eric has the technical chops and the video equipment, and Lorraine's got the piano chops, you know, and there it'd be safe and everything. So, you know, I thought, well, I could just show up at his church and we could do it there. He said, well, no, uh, the piano here is a wreck. How's the, how's the piano at your church? And I said, well, that's, that's in great shape, but, you know. Uh, and so anyway, he carted his equipment over for the songs, but then he said, can we record the AMRAM at my church? Because then I won't have to move the equipment again, you know? And, and so as a matter of <laughs> schlepping equipment around um, and finding available time, and then I put this recording together of my piece and I found the photo of Thelonious Monk. Uh, and, and Eric worked it into the AMRAM, I thought quite nicely. Uh, and then I found this photo of this painting of Job that I 
felt fit my piece well. And so, you know, kind of stuck those on there. Um, but the, the AMRAP came out because, you know, I thought, well, I wanted to do a couple of unaccompanied pieces because they're a lot easier to do in COVID. And I feel uh, badly that uh, Lorraine didn't want to be on camera uh, in, in my portion of the recital that she accompanied. And she just said, no, 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 she didn't want to be on camera. And, and I submitted a photo for the program and I asked, you know, about that being published. But at any rate, uh, we were socially distanced. We were 10, 12 feet apart, which made it kind of challenging. <laughs> so anyway, it was just a little bit of a project, but I, I thought I'd do a couple of unaccompanied pieces and I'd coached the AMRAM. I had heard it. I knew it. But I thought, you know, I want to learn this piece. And so it was it was a fun venture to learn. It's the first time I performed it. Um, so I thought, you know, I'm going to learn something here and 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 go for something new. And, and I, I like it. I like it a great deal. Uh, so just finding all these, putting all these puzzle pieces together was um, an interesting challenge. I know I, I've seen several comments and I've heard several people say it was really, really cool to hear the composer of the piece play that piece. Uh, why? You know, it was really, really it. And it's a cool piece. Well, I thank you. Thanks yeah. a lot. I struggle to find uh, horn alone pieces that I enjoy. And that's not one of the struggles. <laughs> it's a, that's, that one is easy to like. So. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. It, it, um, Let's just say it has some deep meaning to it. Well, thanks for writing it. Thanks for contributing to the Library of Music and and uh, for your wonderful playing, man. Uh, thank you. Thanks a lot. Jeff, how about your your programming? You had several premieres and, and some really, really hip stuff. And also, I got to say, uh, I enjoyed the fact that you put the music up for that part. Yeah, there. yeah. Good idea. It's one thing to hear it. And you enjoy it when you hear it, but it's a whole other thing to, to be enjoying hearing it and watching it at the same time. I know that that's become a, a big thing on, on social media. A, a video gets a lot more views if you put the music up for the video also while you're playing it, you know, and it's just because people are curious. They want to follow along. They want to see what it is that you're playing and see the person playing it. It's like, I want more. I want more. I want more information, you know? And now it's like up to the performers to come up with all this information and pack it into one video and put it out just so people will watch it. So, but anyway, it was, it was really cool, man. How'd you come up with the programming? Well, well, first of all, I got to give kudos to the composer, uh, Rodrigo Versace. That piece um, was a commission. Uh, I started an initiative here at Oberlin uh, during the pandemic um, since no one was playing any large, you know, large pieces and everything was chamber music. And even then it was socially distant. I said, well, you know, let's, let's start looking at A2s. Let's start looking at solo horn pieces. And I came across um, the, the A2s by uh, Ricardo Matosinos. And I just thought, man, what, just what a cool thing that he's done with all these great A2s. And I thought, you know, we should have something here like that. You know, it's great, great studio of students here and a great tradition that, um, Pandolfi left here, you know, let's, let's do something that really, really honors what he set up here. And so uh, I called a, a few friends and asked them if they would write some etudes based on, on, you know, just techniques, just go, you know, like I want everybody to leave here. And I'd say no student of mine is going to leave here not knowing something about the blues. That's just, just going to happen. Sorry. <laughs> um, and with the, with that piece by Rodrigo, it was, it was about, you know, multiphonics, um, something in all honesty that I had not done until he wrote this piece. Really? I got that piece a month ago and I handed that video in on Sunday. I think it was. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I had to learn the, the skill, but um, the real factor of the matter was that, you know, with um, because of COVID, Half of our piano studio, the students and faculty, they're not even on campus. Like, mm -hmm. like the, all of the folks from, from Asia and Europe, they couldn't even get visas to get here. 
Wow. Our, our main uh, accompanist, uh, James Hausman, who is, you know, a godsend, he's doing everything, literally everything on his own. And we just got out of Black History Month where we had all these other concerts going on. I didn't want to swamp him with learning some new music. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to do some solo horn pieces. Uh, you know, I'll just, I'll learn some new pieces. That was real smart. <laughs> and I was here in this room until 2 a.m. like for the last month trying to learn all this music. But it was it was a good experience. Like like Randy was saying, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's going to be a learning experience. Um, so I learned a lot of new music. None of the music that I played for you I'd ever played before. You know, it was all all new stuff for me. That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> it was painful. <laughs> really was. But, but really, it was, yeah, I wish I had a, I had a like, you know, I'm on campus. I can't toast. I wish I could toast. But I can't. You've got a Wonder Woman drink. Randy's rubbing it in. Randy, that's not cool, man. <laughs> that's just. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, Liz. Oh, oh. The only I'll, 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 you know, all right, I'll remember this. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, so, right. See, I get no empathy here. None. Zero. <laughs> well, you guys. It, the recital was fantastic. Thank you so much for playing it. I just wanted to thank you guys for being on my podcast. And also I wanted to leave with one last question to all of you. It can be quick. What what can we look forward to from you uh, in the future? And also uh, maybe what are some things that we can check out about you if we want to learn more about you? Like where can we do that? How about Randy? How about you, man? Well, um, you know, I've got uh, some wonderful students at Temple University. I'm uh, teaching there part-time as an artist in residence. Uh, we've got a really good program. Um, and, you know, I look forward to uh, working with uh, a number of horn students with my uh, Philadelphia Orchestra horn section colleagues. And um, that's that's wonderful. Um, I love opportunities to play with orchestras. Uh, that's that's what really floats my boat. I mean, I you know put me in an orchestra. I'm a very happy camper. I mean that you know I love that. Um, and you know I have I have uh, two books out there. There's Mastering the Horns Low Register, and there's Good Vibrations Master Classes for Brass Players. Um, uh, and maybe I have some ideas that. Uh, I want to put down in writing um, again. I don't know. I'll see. Um, but my website is randygardnerhorn.com. Uh, there are a number of things up there. I, I present uh, master classes. I have a whole list under the topic of modular music master classes, uh, a lot of different topics. So, you know, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm technically <laughs> retired, I guess. But uh, I have a pretty active retirement. Uh, You're doing recitals and writing books. and. <laughs> so, yeah, technically I'm retired, but um, uh, we, uh, we moved a couple of years ago to, uh, back here to uh, southern New Jersey uh, to be around our family. And uh, we're just five minutes from kids and grandkids, and, and we're loving that. And uh, I still, uh, I still uh, enjoy the horn and teaching and playing and all those sorts of things. So that's that's probably a much too long answer for you. But, um, you know, uh, before we leave, I just want to say thank you for hosting this, you know, and uh, I'm really looking forward to your contributions during this workshop uh, a whole lot. Um, you know, and I, I applaud everything you're doing. Amen. You're very creative and, um, and you got lots of good things happening. So, you know, bravo to you. And thank you to Jonas and Albert, the hosts, you know, uh, this is an amazing, an amazing workshop. I mean, this is on the scale of an international symposium, man. Uh, and congratulations to Jonas and Albert. They've done uh, just a, a fabulous job. And, and it was such an honor to be on stage, so to speak, with uh, Liz and Jeff there. So anyway, thank you and bravo to everybody. I echo that. Um, what Randy said, thank you so much, Chris. Thank you for hosting us on your podcast. Um, Jonas, Albert, thank you so much for all of the incredible organization that you've 
done with putting this um, Northeast Horn Workshop together. It, it really is awesome. I'm just honored to be part of it. So besides what I'm doing in Cincinnati Symphony, and I, I truly feel blessed beyond measure, our orchestra has been playing nonstop. We play, we started playing in September and we've played simulcast concerts and we we're playing with live audiences since uh, January and our audience sizes are just increasing. But I, I truly believe that that's a blessing, but the future of um, music rests in the mentorship that we do with students. And I, I feel a tremendous amount of responsibility to be what I received. I had unbelievable mentors as teachers. And um, I'm at that point in my career that I really feel a great responsibility to be able to connect and be a mentor to the future of our music industry. And so I have the opportunity to do that at CCM. Thank you, Randy Gardner, for inviting me years, years back. <laughs> um, as an adjunct professor, I have the opportunity to uh, connect with those students. And at the Eastman Horn Institute and at Brevard Music Center, um, those are the places that I feel that I, I connect with these, you know, musicians of our future. I do not have a website. I'm rather technically challenged. <laughs> Not on the horn. <laughs> and I'm able to be here right now, and I'm very proud of it. So thank you very much. And I have a narwhal on my <laughs> And I've got a narwhal. <laughs> well, you're leaving such a legacy, not only in your playing with the orchestra, but with your teaching and with what you're doing for generations of musicians to come. Thanks, Chris, so much. And I'll never forget meeting you on Neil Burton's back deck at Brevard. (laughs) (laughs) That's where we first met, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's a really small world, this music industry, you know, and you just never know where you're going to run into people. Thanks. Oh, of course. No, thank you. All right, Jeff, I'm going to, I'm going to end this thing with you. You are the ending guy. As so, he holds uh, up that scotch again. I just, you know, I, I, no I scotch can't again. drink on campus. That's <laughs> a terrible. Anyway, yeah, I, I like I, you know, like Liz was saying, you know, I, I feel the, the charge of, um, you know, really passing on what I know, and not only just what I know, but my, but that my, my love for the music, for the change in music, for the pushing of the envelope. I think that um, my biggest my biggest uh, goal in uh, the position that I hold now is to set up my students for whatever that could come their way in the music business. The music business is changing. It's 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 changing in a major major way, and um, and I think uh, my biggest charge is going to be preparing them for that. And so I'm going to keep commissioning new music. Um, for my students, um, I'm going to start recording. I have some recording projects, um, so I just kind of lead the way and show them um, that uh, there's there's uh, lots of other ways to get into music. Um, and I and I also uh, uh, a lot of people may not know here, I'm a composer as well, mm-hmm. and so I, I I spend a lot of spend a lot of hours writing writing music and um, uh, and arranging. And so I'll be doing a lot of projects like that. Anybody interested in um, anything at all that I've said, even if it's just, you know, why I'm so hung up on the fact that I don't have a scotch right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can reach me at musicbyjeffreyscott.com. <laughs> I can't wait to get home right now. <laughs> My wife's going to be like, why are you running to the liquor <laughs> I don't mean to be an enabler, but it happens. It's too <laughs> And each one of the three of you owe me around. <laughs> I, I long for the day that the four of us can get oh. together in the oh. same room and, you know, make these things go clink. Yeah. <laughs> and that's for everybody who's listening too. All right. 
I want to thank you guys so much for being part of this. You guys are an inspiration. You're playing with Stellar. And uh, Jonas, thank you so much for putting this on. You've done an incredible first day. And I'm sure that the rest of the workshop is going to go amazing. So thank you so much. And uh, I guess over and out. I don't even know how we're going to end this. I guess somebody's. That's it. Just peace out. Love y'all. Peace out. Love you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys.